Yeah, so here we are, um, just as Cammie mentioned, kind of in this home stretch. Um, we're rounding third, headed for home base, um, as we kind of wrap up Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. But good to see everybody. Um, it's also great to see the sun yet again. It's been making a lot of appearances lately, so it's kind of an encouraging time of year around here, unlike previous years. Um, welcome to all of you joining us online. So as we move into this final section, this is Paul's famous call to arms. So he's set up his entire letter in ways that we've really grown to appreciate over the last two years. And then he lands it with a call to arms, where we're to stand firm in the whole armor of God. And of course, this is an ongoing battle that's to be carried out by the church. It's part of God's master plan set in place before the foundation of the world to unite all things in Christ, and he does that through his church. So this is how the church, all who've been born again into a new life in Christ, are supposed to live out their days in a constant battle. That's the reality of Christian living. It's not a life of ease. It's a protracted war. It's why up to this point in his letter, Paul's been equipping and training us in the doctrines of our faith. And then he's been teaching us how it is that we're to employ them so that our behavior is consistent with our belief. And when you think about it in the context of war, it makes a whole lot more sense now why he's been doing it the way he's been doing it. And having spent 31 years in uniform, it's exactly the way an army prepares for battle too. First, the army has to understand the doctrines of war, the strategy the supply lines, the commander's intent. And then the army trains over and over again, focusing on all of the smallest details until they get it right. Rehearsing battle drill after battle drill, zeroing their weapons, reacting to contact, conducting after action reviews after every single training event. And that's because the art of war is a game of inches with the thinnest of margins. And the side that's the most prepared, the best equipped, the well-trained, the most disciplined army is the one who holds the advantage in a game where victory and defeat, life and death, they hang in the balance. And that's what's at stake here for the church, for all those who've been born again into a new life in Christ. So this isn't some backyard brawl or some border dispute. This is a war that has cosmic and eternal implications. So we're going to roll up our sleeves and dig in, and this is going to take us all the way till Easter. So Paul starts out, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So Paul is essentially announcing here the culmination of his letter. After all that we've been studying now as a church for nearly two years, after all of the highs and lows, after we've been studying his doctrine and, and then the behavior and the practical portion, after all of that, Paul's essentially announcing here, finally, do two things. Be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God. Two directives that he gives in priority of importance and he gives them together to teach us a really important point. And it's essentially the commander's intent for this particular battle. First, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul begins 
by raising our awareness of the kind of power that we have access to for this battle. This isn't strongman power, it's not industrial power, it's not even hurricane force power. It's cosmic power, divine power, the kind that creates and sustains the universe. This divine power is sovereign in its nature, meaning it's all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing. It can even permit choice among its subjects and still be in complete control of absolutely everything. And this divine power is also good, the very definition of love, perfectly holy and the author of truth, meaning whatever he speaks comes into existence. When he says, let there be light, there's light. That's the scale of the strength that we have access to, divine power in the Lord. It's the very power that brought each one of us into being without even consulting any one of us. And it's the power that we've all somehow chosen to rebel against because we choose self over God. We choose wrong over right. We choose sin, a life headed for eternal destruction. But it's also a power that out of an abundance of mercy convicts us of our dire situation, calls us then to repentance, to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus by placing our faith in him. It's a power that justifies us or makes us right with God, not by anything we did, but simply by the power of his gentle grace, whereby we're born again into a new life of Christ and he puts the power of the Holy Spirit within us to sanctify us, to make us more Christ-like each and every day, helping us progress down that path to holiness. That's the power we have access to. That is the source of our strength for this battle. So now Paul leads with his first directive for two main reasons. We simply must know where our strength comes from, and he wants us to know the role that we play in this battle. First, our strength. It doesn't come from us, and it doesn't come from some external physical power out there. It comes from within us as God fills us with his Holy Spirit and makes us more like Jesus. So all that's needed is provided for by God. And that's because this is God's battle. It's not our battle. And it's so important that we know this because we simply must know that this is his battle. It's not ours. We got to know our role in it because we can be so tempted to view this as our war. Only turning to God whenever we get pinned down, we find ourselves in trouble. But this is his war. We're simply soldiers in his army. Instruments of war charged to carry out his orders. Which leads to this second directive. Once we know where our strength comes from, and we know our role in his particular army, we must then do something. We must put on the whole armor of God. You recall earlier in this letter, Paul used this illustration of putting clothes off and putting clothes on whenever we're born again. We put off the old self, all those nasty clothes that represent the sin in our life. It's like that steaming pot of poo you see up there. That's how foul this is. We got to put that stuff off. And now Paul tells us very specifically what it is that we must put on, and that is the whole armor of God. 
So you think to yourself, okay, I got that, right? I'm going to put on my entire armor. I'm going to jump into this fight, and I'm going to give it everything I got. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching ass to war. We've probably all heard that hymn before. It's exciting. It's motivating. It's a call to action. But unfortunately, it's not the best theology. Because we can interpret those words as meaning that we're to live our Christian life out of our own strength, frantically trying to do everything we can to be a good Christian, even trying to fight God's battles for him. And as immature Christians, we usually try that for a little while until we've been beaten at every single turn. And then we realize that we can't do it on our own. And then someone reminds us of that first directive that Paul's teaching us here. Be strong in the Lord. And then they offer that other really unhelpful piece of Christian advice. They say, just let go and let God. Every time I hear that, it makes me cringe. It's yet another example of not very good theology. It's a false teaching that has pervaded the church for many, many years. And so we launch over to the other extreme, where we do nothing. We just let go and let God. He's got this. And nothing happens there either, does it? Why? Because we're just sitting there. We're not doing anything. And so we find ourselves on the losing end of every skirmish in our life. And we just can't understand why God doesn't do something when we just sit there. And that's because we didn't heed both of Paul's directives. Be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God. And here we find ourselves yet again, over and over, we're back in that middle voice. The place in which our relationship with God unfolds. Where he is always the first mover. He's the one who provides the strength. But we can't sit there. We have to respond we got to put on the whole armor of God. It's a truth that we find all over Scripture. We don't try to do it on our own. We'll get crushed if we do. But we also don't just sit there and do nothing either. A spirit-filled life unfolds in the middle voice. Or as Oliver Cromwell puts it, trust in the Lord and keep your powder dry. If you let your powder get wet, it will not ignite. So yeah, We trust in the Lord, and then we get after it, and we go do something. And then Paul gives us the reason that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's who we're fighting here. Make no mistake about it. It's not some general notion. It's the devil. So we don't sit. We don't attack. We don't retreat. We don't cower in fear. We stand. Strong in the Lord with the whole armor of God against the schemes of the devil. It's why we reject the notion that Christianity is a life of ease and luxury. There's no lounging here. We're engaged in a cosmic battle, and so we must be at the ready, fully alert, vigilant at all times. We must pull ourselves together and stand. That's actually what the word stand means in the original language, to pull yourself together. So we stand out of respect for the Lord because we're in his army now. And we also stand in recognition that our enemy is a formidable foe. And so we stand where we can look him straight in the eye 
as we do battle with him day in and day out. And if we happen to get knocked down, what do we do? We immediately stand right back up again. That's the mark of a quality soldier. You get knocked down, you jump right back up. Get back up on your feet. Because you never know when he's coming right back at you one more time. In fact, no matter what any of us in here are dealing with in our lives, what do we learn here? We stand. We stand against it. We don't cower. We stand. That's Paul's teaching here. And then he describes for us the nature of the battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now this is a little overwhelming when we think about this language carefully. And this is important because so many Christians don't even know that they're engaged in a battle, let alone one with cosmic implications. But you see, you simply can't avoid it once you're born again. There's no draft dodging. There's no conscientious objecting. These aren't options for us. And of course, one of the key principles in the art of war is to make sure you know your enemy. You know how he fights. And that's why Paul wants us to know that the entire universe is a battleground of unseen forces. Demons trying to trip us up and angels carrying out God's billing as they pull security over us. C.S. Lewis contends, there are two errors we make with regard to Satan and his minions. Either we fail to believe in their existence, or we take an unhealthy interest in them. And the devil is delighted whenever we do either of those, because whenever we do, it weakens our defenses. As Paul states here, they are not flesh and blood. They are rulers and authorities of darkness. So they mean to do us evil. They desire for us to not progress in holiness. And there's nothing they would love more than to make sure you are not involved with helping any of your family members or friends get to know Jesus. And so it's very easy for us to conclude that they must be those forces that hang out in those dark alleys of life, in the shadows of debauchery. But as J. Vernon McGee contends, the devil is probably not at a nightclub on a Saturday night. He's already won those battles. No, he's most likely tucked into bed early on a Saturday night because he's getting ready to go do his battle against the church on Sunday morning. And we probably all have experienced it already this morning as we wake up and he convinces us that we don't need to go to church today. You know, you've had a hard week for sure. There's a lot of stuff to get done around the house if you're going to get ready for next week. Or maybe he convinces you that you need to spend a little time at your favorite coffee shop and just read the paper today. Far better atmosphere than you'll find at church with all those judgy church people sitting there, right? Or maybe he convinces you to drink so much coffee that you have to get up two or three times in the middle of worship. And why is that? Because wherever Scripture, wherever the truth of God's Word is being proclaimed, that is exactly where He is going to be. That's where He will attack. So the single most dangerous place any one of us could be this morning is right here. Make no mistake about that. Because the truth is, we're in a war. But... When you look up at this image, and we think about all that we've just described here, it is not something 
that should freak us out. Because there are legions of angels carrying out God's orders, protecting his beloved children. Elisha the prophet reveals this truth to us in 2 Kings chapter 6. Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria, and he can't figure out why it is that the king of Israel is always outmaneuvering him. He's getting the best of him in every single aspect. And so he calls together his smart guys and his servants, and he says, what's going on here? Why does the king of Israel keep beating me? And they say, well, he's got this prophet, Elisha, who tells the king of Israel every single word that you say. So the king of Syria says, well, hey, go find this guy, because I want to take him out. So the king of Syria's servants, they locate Elisha and his servant in the city of Dothan. And so the king sends out his forces, and they completely surround the city. The next morning, Elisha and his servant wake up, and the servant starts freaking out, right? Because he looks out there, and he sees all the Syrian army completely surrounding them. But Elisha says, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And as he looks up, the mountains are full of horses and chariots of fire, the angel armies surrounding that Syrian army. Then Elisha asks God to blind the Syrian army so they can't see. And then he goes up to him and says, hey guys, I think you're in the wrong place, follow me. And he leads them away from the city of Dothan into Samaria. And of course, the king of Israel is like, oh, this is my chance, I can take these guys out right here in Samaria. And so he asks Elijah, can I take them out? He says, no. Give them something to drink and give them something to eat. And then he tells the Syrian army, time to go back home. So they go back home and they never mess with him ever again. So you see, God doesn't leave us to fight these battles against unseen forces on our own. He has legions of angels pulling overwatch over his beloved children. Okay, so this is kind of like big pie-in-the-sky stuff. But what does our actual battle look like? Well, to put this in more concrete terms, the battle for those who've been born again is essentially getting down that well-lighted path and through that narrow gate. That's the cosmic battle that we're all in. That is why Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So as Paul reiterates this call to batter, he's emphasizing a comprehensive arsenal. It's the whole armor. In other words, don't leave anything out. And if you've spent time in uniform, whether in the military or otherwise, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is one of my biggest challenges whenever I was a commander. You would take your unit out to a training environment, and the hardest thing was to get your soldiers to actually play like it's the real thing. They never wanted to carry their protective mask because it's uncomfortable and kind of digs into your side. They never wanted to put their armored Kevlar helmets on. They wanted a soft cap on because it's more comfortable. Because after all, it's just training. These bullets aren't real. But then all of a sudden, when the bullets are real, everything changes. You want your hands on every single piece of arsenal 
you can get your hands on. Because the last thing you want to be is in the middle of some trench somewhere, or some bunker, and the enemy rolls a canister of gas in there and you don't have your mask on. Or the bullets start flying and you don't have your Kevlar helmet on. Now you want access to everything you can get your hands on whenever you're in the thick of battle. And then when you think about how it is that Paul developed this illustration of armor, it's most likely because he spent so much time in chains. He was always being guarded by soldiers. And so no doubt, Paul got to know these soldiers. He listened to their stories and probably heard about how important this armor was and how often it had saved their lives. And they needed it to do their jobs. And likewise, we need every single piece of armor that the Lord gives us. That's why we're called to be in Scripture, to be on our knees in prayer, fasting, actively playing our role in the invisible church, living a life of praise, thanksgiving, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ so that we're filled with His Spirit, so that we're empowered to do battle, so that we can progress in holiness as we pursue truth, righteousness, peace, growing in our faith, and as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul is telling us that we're going to need to employ all the armor that the Lord has given us. And then Paul tells us why. So that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now this word withstand means to set against, to resist, and oppose. It's in the present future tense. So it's an ongoing action that must be taken. And that's because the enemy is relentless. He rarely backs down. And so that's why we always have to be at the ready. And that's why we don't just put this armor on one time, but rather it's a daily occurrence. We don't just get on our knees to pray every once in a while or open up our scripture every so often. No, like a good soldier, we need to be in a constant state of readiness with our armor, ruthlessly tending to it, making sure that it's functional, ensuring proper tuning of absolutely everything so that we're set against the enemy ready to resist, empowered to oppose. And then Paul concludes this opening part of this call to battle. After having done all, stand firm. In other words, after being strong in the Lord, knowing the source of our strength and knowing our role in this battle, and after putting on the full armor of God, not neglecting any of the arsenal that he's given us, after living out our lives in the middle voice, responding to the Holy Spirit's conviction and counsel in all that we do, only then can we stand firm in the knowledge that we're ready to withstand the evil of the day. And then the next day, we get up and like a good soldier, we do it all over again. This is why we must be in top condition, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. That's why soldiers do physical training every single day. Push-ups to, to stay strong. Running to make sure their heart and their cardiovascular system is ready to go. Eating well so that they maintain height and weight standards. And of course, getting the necessary sleep so that they're ready to do whatever comes their way. That's the analogy Paul has for us here as we progress down that path to holiness. Each day is a skirmish as we become battle-hardened, gaining experience with each sanctifying day, disciplined to do those hard things, 
to look the challenges of life square in the eye and then to stand firm against whatever comes our way, getting back up whenever we're knocked down because our lives must be marked by standing firm and always quick to reset after any type of victory we may have had because that's always when the enemy counterattacks quickly because that's usually when we let our defenses down. So after having done all that we can do, we're to stand firm. You see, it's in these words that we actually find tremendous encouragement and an amazing amount of assurance because this battle has already been won. Christ's work on the cross has already secured the victory. If we have been born again, we are getting through that narrow gate. Make no mistake about that. Because this victory, it's so important that we grasp it because it actually is what gives us the hope that we need to stand. We're going to get into this topic of hope in a couple of weeks. It has to do with strength of mind. And hope is so important for us. Each of us need hope because hope is actually what gives us that strength. And that hope comes from within us, from the hope of Christ. It's what gives us that strength to stand. So our call to action is a reminder once again that we are to live out this middle voice as we progress down that well-lighted path and through that narrow gate into God's loving arms. Our victory is secured. As we set out on this journey to look at the whole armor of God, we're going to keep reminding ourselves the victory is secured, but we got to do our part. We have got to put on this full armor of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cosmic strength that you provide. Thank you for the gift of this full armor. Lord, would you help us to put it on each day so that we can stand firm in the face of evil. By the power of your Holy Spirit and the security of your angel armies, we desire to be your instruments of war, doing your will for your glory and for your son's sake. Amen. Amen.